Welcome to Behind the Data, the podcast that takes you inside the world of market research and breaks down the topics we love to nerd out on. Today, I'm joined by Michelle Grant, who leads retailing research at Euromonitor. So in a nutshell, her team aims to explain how the world will shop, a topic I am quite passionate about. On top of helping clients navigate the retailing ecosystem, Michelle is an avid writer, presenter, and all-around thought leader. She collects all kinds of cool awards and titles, and most recently, she was named one of LinkedIn's 2017 Top Voices in Retail. Michelle, I won't lie. I'm incredibly impressed and a little intimidated right now. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Sarah. I appreciate it. Informally, I do refer to myself as the queen of retail. The so. queen. Yes. I did not realize we were in the presence of royalty. Your majesty, welcome to the show. Thank you. We'll, we'll practice on your curtsy afterwards. It was lacking this time around. Way to, to call out my, my lack of etiquette and manners. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Any good queen would point yes. that out. Yes. <laughs> so, Michelle, uh, while I do lack a lot of etiquette and, and maybe royal tradition knowledge. Um, I do buy things and I generally understand what a retailer is. Um, But tell me a little more about what it means to research retailing as an industry. Sure. Um, I mean, this is what we're here for, to take a peek behind the scenes on the retail industry and how we uh, do our research here at Euromonitor. Um, So we have analysts in 100 countries around the world, which is quite impressive. Uh, That is to give the global breadth in this massive industry. Everyone has to shop, so we're tracking them very closely. And in those countries, for the most part, we research 35 different retail channels. So again, you get the global view of retail and every possible channel that someone can make a purchase through. Um, and so that what it, that's what it means to research retailing at Euromonitor. Um, and for my part, I take a look at um, you know the data that we generate, which is market sizes, market shares, and forecasts to determine what the data is saying. What are the trends that retailers need to know in order to prepare their business for the future? And in one case, what we've seen uh, a great significant amount of growth in is in digital marketplaces. So I've dedicated quite some time this year to researching and writing and presenting on uh, this 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 trend, these digital marketplaces. And when you say digital marketplaces, what, what exactly are we talking about? Let's take a step back for the commoners who may not be at your royal status. <laughs> it's true. It's a little bit inside baseball um, for retailers. And the marketplace model is, is applicable across a lot of different industries. But in retail, what I'm talking about is a platform that's digital, online, or through mobile that enables businesses to sell through that platform. And the platform doesn't own the inventory. So normally, Normal retailers such as Walmart will buy the goods, sell it at a markup. You know that's the retail business. But in a marketplace such as eBay, um, they don't own any inventory. They just enable sellers um, of all stripes to sell through that that digital platform. And what we're seeing is that uh, the marketplace model is evolving. So eBay, we kind of refer to as a pure marketplace. That's their only business is in hosting sellers of all types, either small businesses to large brands to even other retailers to sell their own inventory through eBay's uh, digital platforms, whether it's the app or the website. Um But what we're seeing is a change in many retailers um, who started off maybe either owning inventory or started off as a marketplace 
uh, kind of switching and becoming a hybrid. Uh, Amazon is a great example of okay. this. So Amazon started off as a retailer, taking inventory of books, selling them. Um, and then they added a component uh, called Amazon Marketplace. And that allows vendors to sell through Amazon.com to the end consumer. And Amazon only takes a commission on that sale. It doesn't own the inventory. And now what we're seeing is that many of these uh, hybrid marketplaces are getting into actual physical retail. Um, Alibaba in China is a good example where they're uh, buying or investing in existing physical retailers, um, but they, you know, their core business model is still uh, an online marketplace. Interesting. And are these businesses that they're investing in related to what's being sold on the site or is it purely an investment and if you buy let's say books or everyday goods on Alibaba they might be investing in a wine shop or something that seems completely unrelated um it's a little bit of both um for Alibaba it is a means to supplement inventory that they might be weak in um okay. so they have taken a large stake in Suning which is a consumer appliance and electronics specialist uh offline retailer one of the largest, if not the largest in that channel. Um, and traditionally, Alibaba is really focused on apparel and footwear and home goods. Um, so there's that supplemental aspect. Uh, but then the, they also have a stake in a department store called In Time, which obviously sells similar goods. You know, their main reason for doing this, in addition to you know growing the product categories that they're in, but they still see the value in stores. Um, and what they're doing through their strategy called New Retail uh, is to bring the online experience offline and vice versa. So the, a good example of that is you buy online, but you collect the product in store. And how how quickly are these marketplaces growing, like the, the marketplace model, if you will? What's working and how fast? It's, it's shown astonishing growth, which is why I've dedicated so much time to it. Between 2008 and 2017, um, sales through a marketplace uh, grew by 141%. Wow. Um, yeah. So now about 41% of all e-commerce or digital commerce transactions are going through a marketplace model. So And it's growing still at double digits, and we really don't expect that to slow down at any time soon. And why do you think they're growing so quickly? What's resonating with consumers? Um, they basically are able to start network effects. Um, so because they're a marketplace, they're able to bring a whole bunch of selection onto the website because anyone can sell on it. And then with that selection comes price competition. So may, there might be multiple businesses selling the same goods and they compete on price. Um, and so with that selection and price, you bring in a lot of customers. And with those customers, you then bring in more businesses. And the flywheel or the virtuous circle or the network effects, however you want to call it, keep generating. And so it's very hard to break that cycle, which is great for those retailers and that, that model. So it sounds pretty clear to me why customers love it. I mean, convenience, variety, price competition. Um, I can relate to wanting all of those things. Um, but aside from maybe bringing in more business, what are some of the big benefits for retailers? Um, again, that product assortment is great for them. They can get 
you know, exposure to categories and product types that they may not have thought of would resonate with their customers. And with that, because the the business selling on that platform owns the product, the retailer doesn't take any inventory risk. And you know, being overstocked on inventory can be very dangerous for a retailer. Um, you can, if you don't sell everything, you have to mark it down, you have to store it. Um, it's very expensive to hold inventory. So that's one of the better best advantages is that you've shifted that risk to the vendors. Um, What are some examples of that? um, Well, just think of like any sort of grocery store, right? The shelf life of fresh food is very short um, and we all kind of get upset when the retailer disposes of that food um, it may be in not the best way so they either just kind of throw it in a landfill um, whereas because they just can't sell it anymore and so then not only can they not sell it for a markdown but they can't sell it at all so they've you know maybe spent I don't know say 10 million dollars on eggs for the week and only f- Five million of that sold. What do you do with five million dollars worth of eggs? A lot of times, it's just kind of disposed of. Although we would like that to be um, kind of either given to uh, people in need or marked down to to sell. But in some cases, that doesn't happen. Um, a more recent and better example is that Burberry in the UK burned clothing because they couldn't sell it, and they didn't want to sell it at a discount because it would hurt their luxury. Uh, you know, prestige. So we see that a lot going on is that, you know, unsold inventory, um, is, is a huge problem, you know, for the retailer and, you know, in a broader kind of ecological terms too. So where is all of this happening? You know, Amazon and eBay, I think many of us in North America are used to seeing, but I mean, leaders like Alibaba or, or who are some of the other leaders and, and what, I guess, so what countries is all of this taking place in and and who are some of the leaders around the globe? Mm-hmm. Um, so the top five countries for the marketplace model are China, um, thanks to Alibaba and JD. That's why I reference them a lot. U.S. Um, is the second largest market for this because of Amazon uh, and eBay. Uh, Japan with Rakuten um, is the third largest market for this. Uh, and then the U.K., thanks to Amazon and eBay, and South Korea, thanks to eBay as well. So um, it's no surprise that the network effects for these marketplaces really allow these the, the leaders in their home countries to dominate. So when looking at, you know, the these top five countries or leaders in this space, was there anything that surprised you about the retailers themselves? Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, one of my things that surprised me is when I was looking at the Middle East and Africa data um, and honing in on one of the largest markets there, which is Israel, uh, the top players for e-commerce were actually cross-border uh, platforms. Uh, so AliExpress is part of Alibaba. It is their platform for Chinese merchants to sell abroad, and Israel is one of their uh, top markets. Huh. Um, same for Amazon. It's a huge cross-border market for uh, for them as well. Um, and that kind of surprised me. But when I dove in deeper, it turns out that things are very expensive in Israel. Um, and so consumers are willing to wait uh, up to two weeks for their products because they're so much less uh, expensive than if they bought domestically. Interesting. Um, and every year, um, Alibaba has their famous global shopping festival on November 11th. And Israel is usually one of the top uh, countries for foreign purchases on, on AliExpress. So 
we're keeping an eye on, on that brand as it as it expands and, and becomes uh, more well-known throughout the world. So what other trends are you seeing around the world in digital marketplaces? Yeah, they're really focusing on four key aspects of their business. The first is is omni-channel experiences. Like I mentioned earlier, we see a lot of marketplaces um, that started off digitally or have a, a strong presence in the digital world moving into the physical realm, whether it's buying brands or partnering with um retailers. Um, another way that this is happening is kind of the offline players like a Walmart um, are embracing the the marketplace model. So there's this physical element and with that they're able to do interesting things like bring merchandise that is doing well on the marketplace into the stores. Oh. Um, accepting, a little reverse engineering. Right, yeah. exactly. So they, they have the vendors kind of test the market for them before they take the inventory risk and buy it. Um, in fact, uh, Best Buy Canada is now apparently the largest retailer of musical instruments and baby products because it did so well on their marketplace. Um, huh. So that was a bit of surprise for them. Um, but yeah, the merchants thought that they could sell to the Best Buy audience online, and and, and now you have that. So um, involving you know the store experience has become really important to uh, the marketplaces. Uh, another aspect is getting the logistics even even faster. So everyone's speeding up trying to do same-day hourly delivery and investing huge sums of money to do that. Um, JD.com in China has a program where if you purchase before 3 p.m., you get it delivered the same day. Um, wow. Yeah. It's very, very fast and uh, free uh, if you join their uh, their their loyalty program, JD+. And I think the minimum order is pretty low for, for free same-day shipping. So, yeah, it's been really impressive. Obviously, here in Amazon, there's Prime Now for hourly or two-hour delivery. Uh, so all of them are trying to get faster and faster at getting the products to your door. Um, and then loyalty programs, uh, whether they take the form of paid, um, like Prime or JD Plus, like I mentioned, or free. Um, Alibaba's loyalty program is free. eBay has a free one. Um, but using those loyalty programs, enriching the reward so that uh, people stay locked in and, and purchasing with that retailer is really important. Uh, and of course, the data generated by that is um, also key. Uh, yeah, I can only make- imagine how much they're soaking up. Yeah, their users and the shoppers. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, and then the final one is that you know they all have global ambitions, so they're all expanding internationally, whether that's through acquisitions or organically or cross border. But definitely, it's a key pillar of growth for all of these marketplaces. So then, what do next steps look like for retailers? You know, is it building your own? Is it joining an existing marketplace? Do you have to join a marketplace? I mean, what happens next? with these global ambitions? Yeah, I think um, just because the speed at which the marketplace model is growing, um, both in, in, you know, for these retailers or platforms and their their home markets and their their global ambitions, everyone in the retailing industry needs to have a plan. And you pointed out, you know, many options that they could do, which is you know, build their own um, and reap the benefits themselves. In some cases, they'll list on other marketplaces where they don't think it's feasible to build their own, but still benefit from the traffic that that website delivers them. And what's an example of that? Um, eBay has been doing this a bit uh, and listing on other marketplaces in countries 
countries where they're not very strong. So they actually have storefronts in Mexico and Chile on Mercado Libre. Oh. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Another one is Chico's. They are a vendor on Amazon now just this year. So again, um, if you can't beat them, join them is the philosophy for, for some retailers. My mom will be so thrilled to hear that. Yeah, they'll be prime eligible. Um, I actually tried looking for some of their brands on on Amazon, but I couldn't find them. So it's just new. I'm not sure how much inventory they've actually put on uh, Amazon.com. But yeah, now you can get Chico's delivered in in less than two days. Oh, man. Denise is ready. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll I'll be looking out for photos of her Labor Day outfit then. I'm, I'm sure she'll be happy to oblige. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to hear all about her shopping experience and, and what she was able to um, to buy off of Amazon. Yeah, um, be careful what you wish for. Some of, <laughs> some of her retellings can be a little detailed. <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> okay, so join if you can't beat them, join them. Do you have to join them? No, you don't have to do anything you don't want to, and it may not fit with your business objectives. Obviously, that's where people should start is thinking about, you know, if you're a retailer, like what do you want to do? How are you going to achieve growth? Do you think your customer is shopping there? If so, is it the right move to be on a marketplace? Um, there are drawbacks. You lose control over the experience. Um, you lose that customer touch point because it becomes a marketplace's customer, not your own. So, you a lot of brand retailers, you know, haven't jumped into this business model and, and it could be the right move for them. Um, if they haven't, then they really need to think about what's going to differentiate themselves. They're differentiate themselves from um, the marketplace model because it'll be very difficult to compete on price, selection, and sure. logistics. So what are you going to do? Um, and there are, there are, there are probably a few things that I would point out that I would recommend is um, loyalty programs um, are very, very powerful tools. They're usually your best customers. They give you a lot of information about those those shoppers so you can uh, you know, drive them to your stores or online, merchandise appropriately, incentivize them to shop with you. So that's a very powerful um, asset. So um, if you're not going to be in a marketplace, you'll want to develop that. The other thing is developing exclusive merchandise that you can't find in the endless aisle that yeah. as the marketplaces. So we've seen a few um, retailers do very well in developing private label that's only available, um, you know, at their stores. What are your favorite retailers? Oh, man. Um, Well, RIP, the limited is where half of my business casual wardrobe came from. It's a Sephora. I do a lot of my shopping there and they have a stellar loyalty program and have all kinds of data on me at this point. And great merchandise, lots of exclusives. They're, they are, they're always one to watch um, in, in keeping up against uh, the, the, the digital um, yeah. kind of endless aisle marketplaces. But it's interesting. I think for things like clothes, so like apparel, footwear, I, I shop a lot online, but then I think I like to collect vintage records and I like the in-store experience. And to your point about things you can't find online, I'm sure there's a slew of record sellers on eBay, but I like I like to examine the merch. Like just how scratched is this? Or, you know, is this the real cover or some janky reprint? Or is it cool that it's a bootleg reprint? You know, I, I like to see maybe quirkier stuff like that in person. So I guess my my question to you would be are 
our brick and mortar stores going away? We keep hearing how much online shopping is growing, but I know you've mentioned a couple times that sometimes uh, you can't replicate the in-store experience online. So what does the future hold? Right. I'm placing a bet. Stores don't go away. Ever. Uh, ever. Certainly, I think their use cases will change. They could be fulfillment centers now. They can just, uh, whether that's ship from store or click and collect, they could be these all-encompassing experiences. Like you mentioned going to a record store, right? There's something about the way it's designed and you can talk to an educated store associate who's very passionate about the product. You can, you know, you have that impulse purchase. It's a it's a pastime. It's a leisure activity. And sure. as a result, you know, the stores that deliver those experiences are going and that exclusive merchandise to a degree are going to, to stick around. If you're just offering a commodity product that is more conveniently fulfilled from an online um, player, that's where I think you're, you're in trouble. Uh, but not necessarily if you can you know, merchandise correctly, um, build an experience uh, that meets the consumer's needs Usually if it's convenience and you're in and out very quickly, everything is there, you get immediate gratification for your purchases. So um, I don't think the store is dead. Uh, it will change, though. Well, I'm excited to chat with you more as we see stores change. We'll see what some of those trends look like moving forward. Uh, before we wrap, I like to ask everyone, what is the weirdest thing that you've researched? Huh. Well, within the universe of retail, we research every product that's ever sold, but by the channel. So, and our channels really aren't that exciting or unique. We do track vending. So some weird things can be sold through vending machines, I have found. Um, I've seen cupcake vending machines. What what can top that? Um Uniqlo is actually having a lot of success by putting vending machines in airports for some of their clothing. That doesn't surprise me because you land and there's a weird cold front that came in and you need a jacket last minute. There's the machine. Yeah. Yeah. So um, huh. they're doing well in, in that aspect. Um, and when I was in Japan in January, there are just vending machines everywhere for different types of food and beverage. Uh, so that was always entertaining to see what, what was being sold in the vending machines there. Uh, but in general, I'm I'm kind of the worst person to go shopping with because it's always a research trip for me. It's always... <laughs> There's you know, no separation of work yeah, and personal life. No. Yeah. All of I feel like the whole retail analysts are like this. We we call them store visits. And so we go and we analyze what the experience is like, what the merchandise is like, what's the visual merchandising, what in-store technology is being used or what's not being used in many cases. Um, so what should be a 15-minute in-and-out uh, top-up trip usually could take me an hour. Even on vacation? Even on vacation. I'm particularly the worst on vacation because these are <laughs> retailers I don't see every day. Oh. And I know the people I travel with would rather not me wander around and take pictures of the feminine hygiene products in a convenience store to send back to uh, our analysts, <laughs> both on the tissue and hygiene team and in the retail team. Uh, Is that they, like the dream souvenir for an analyst? Like, I didn't bring you a postcard, but here's a display case photo. Exactly. Especially <laughs> for those weird products that other people have to research. Um, and tissue and hygiene kind of gets overlooked. So uh, I try to go out of my way to, to show them the, the interesting products that are being <laughs> sold around the world. 
Well, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I have certainly learned a lot about marketplaces. I will not shop on Amazon the same way ever again. You asked me my favorite retailers. That's probably the one I'm on the most, if I'm being honest. Um, so thank you for for shedding more light into the space. And we'll see what happens with stores. There might be a follow-up episode, the, the evolution of the brick-and-mortar store. Who knows? Definitely. It's something we're all always thinking about. <laughs> all right. Because I'm not up and up on customs, am I supposed to bow? Do I kiss your ring? How do we close the, the goodbye with retail royalty? Uh, yeah, you could try the curtsy again. All right. I'll, I'll practice that. But in the meantime, thank you for tuning into this episode of Behind the Data. We hope you're as curious as we are and will continue to listen as we dissect data, research, and everything in between. 